Welcome to Scream Scene, the horror movie podcast where we watch every horror movie ever made in chronological order and then we rank them from best to worst. My name is Sarah. And I'm Ben. Thank you for listening to us today. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, How are you, Sarah? Uh, Always on the mend. (laughs) Doing better. Yeah, thank you to our listeners and our patrons who have been quite patient as I... Drop the ball a little bit, but the thing about the podcast is it's a rubber ball. It'll always bounce back. Sure. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. But I'm also, like, thematically very happy that we covered our horror-adjacent bonus episode for March, Mm. which was on them, before we get to this movie. Okay. Tonight's movie is Attack of the Giant Leeches from 1959, directed by Bernard Kowalski. So this movie was produced by Roger Corman's brother, Gene Corman, Mm -hmm. um, basically to serve as a B-picture to Bucket of Blood for AIP. Which we did quite enjoy. Yes. The funny thing to me is that Attack of the Giant Leeches was shot in eight days for $70,000. So it had two more days and $20,000 more than Bucket of Blood. So I guess we will see... You know, if more time and money means it's a better movie or if like (laughs) Bucket of Blood really did use its resources just that well, you know what I mean? Yeah, but this movie has giant leeches, presumably. That's also plural, more than one, whereas a Bucket of Blood just had to worry about one single bucket and fill it with blood. So I think, you know, the, the extra money is going to be put to good use. So I'm pretty sure like... We don't need any background information on this movie. It's not based on an original story. There isn't like anything particularly special to note about the context. And most people have a pretty good idea of like what leeches are. But I have this like feeling that maybe you're sitting there with some leech facts that you're ready to tell me. Oh, yeah. So why don't you why don't you give the leech facts? Uh, So leeches. um, Did you know they have 10 pairs of eyes? I didn't know they had eyes, period. Ah. So that's weird. Yeah, so they are predatory. Mm-hmm. Um, but despite the gross factor of like, oh, you go swimming and you're going to get like a ton of leeches on you, they actually tend to prey more on bugs or fish, both in terms of like eating larva like a snail would um, or you know, taking a ride on a fish and sucking its blood. Now it has like two suckers on what I'll call its face. Okay. And then it has its mouth that has like a ton of serrated teeth mm-hmm. that um, is what it uses to like drill into you to get to your blood. And in doing so, it releases two things. One, an anesthetic, so you don't feel it. And two, an anticoagulant agent. Right. That all kind of makes sense, right? Uh, So where are the eyes? They're in there. I I don't know. (laughs) They're in there. Okay. Now, (laughs) the phrasing of this, according to this um, fun fact list, is their litter size. Right. Um, But I think that just means like... It's the number of kids. Well, like, 
I'm thinking eggs. Because uh, they, they produce eggs. Oh, okay. When, like, you're just, like, pumping out those eggs, it can range from, like, three-ish to a hundred in that's, one laying. That's, like, a wide margin. It's huge, right? They can be in any kind of water, but typically will be found in freshwater ponds and lakes that aren't, like, super fast-moving. Mm-hmm. But there are some that are in salt water, and pretty much the only place where you can't really find them is Antarctica. There is a giant leech... It's in the Amazon. Sure, that tracks. And its length is about the length of your forearm. Okay. Um, and it can get pretty thick. Like if you make a fist, that's kind of like its girth. Okay. Yeah, to kind of give you an idea of like what a giant leech actually is. Um, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> they tend to be like they look black. Right. But they are actually like a dark brown or a dark green. Mm. And under certain lights, you can actually see like stripes on them. Okay. Which I think is cool. They are hermaphroditic. So there's no like one particular like thing that makes a male look different than a female. Sure. Guess how long they can live. Ooh. 10 weeks. No. Eight years. Yes. How long actually? How long? Eight years. Oh, did I? I just fucking nailed it on the second guess. Yeah, like okay. eight to ten years. Okay. Um, longer in captivity because then they'd be like protected from pr- sure. predators. Right. The predators tend to be fish. Mm-hmm. Um, though you know birds would eat them. You know, and they don't start reproducing until they are two years old. Okay. Hmm. That is a longer lifespan than I initially thought, but apparently, exactly the lifespan that I secondarily thought (laughs) now that giant leech in the amazon that i mentioned that guy can live up to 20 years um in the wild so i think like leeches claim to fame Mm. besides being the stars of this movie right is their use in medicine Mm -hmm. um so way back in the olden days when we thought bloodletting was the way to go right uh two ways of doing that was stabbing you and letting you bleed out or introducing leeches, which would then suck out your blood, or the theory at that time was like the excess humor yeah, that you, you had. You were feeling the way you were feeling because you had too much blood in you, mm-hmm. and we needed to balance it out with your phlegm and your black bile and your yellow bile. Yeah, and so the leech, because it's like sucking stuff out of you, it would take away that excess. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still used in medicine today. Uh, as a way to control blood loss in very delicate areas, Mm. which is like really interesting to me. Um, They are also used in a natural medicine, Mm. but I will not be talking about that kind of medicine. Sure. Now I did mention that leeches lay eggs. There are some kinds of leeches because there's like 680 subspecies. Um, There are some that actually like, take care of the eggs they don't just like poop them out and like go on and there are some that like carry the eggs on them kind of like that scorpion that carries like its babies on them Hmm. um which i think is like really neat yeah that's more behavior than i figured a leech was capable of (laughs) i always kind of imagined leeches as being like very passive animals like you know they just need to hitch a ride on something with blood and lie lay there and suck its blood right like it didn't seem to me like they needed to have like thoughts and feelings right yeah exactly (laughs) 
but yeah, uh, that's that's kind of like the uh, fun facts I'll mention about leeches. Uh, I have more, but I think I'll wait till the movie in order to be like, the movie was inaccurate about leeches and this and that. <laughs> so do you have any questions about leeches no, you really, want to ask me? No, I really don't. Um, but thank you for the fun facts, Sarah. The image of a leech in my mind comes from, I believe the movie is called The African Queen. Right. Where Humphrey Bogart has to push this like boat through these marshes in like the Amazon or something. And his Africa. In Africa. Generic Africa. And his back gets like covered in these huge ass leeches. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually like you're not supposed to like yank them off or like the story I was always told was to take a, a match, blow it out, and then stick it on the leech to get it to let go. Yeah, if it's got like drilled teeth, you probably don't want to just yank it. Yeah, because there's a chance that um, bacteria will enter. So while I know that like the impulse is to just pull the leech off, they'll only be on you for about a half hour, and then they'll just like let go and move on with their life. Sure. Um. So it'll be like they're super... apparently rich in their lives. Heading back home to like. The like 1950s suburban home right, under a with rock. Their kids and yeah. Um, so like you can like yank them off, but it's just not recommended. And if you can like handle this like grossness of it being on you, then just like wait it out. Got it. I think probably, you know, the leeches are the monsters in this movie because most people go, leeches, gross, right? Yeah. Um, this movie's director is Bernard Kowalski. Uh, who directed Night of the Blood Beast, mm -hmm. uh, which was episode 248 and is currently ranked number 104. Bucket of Blood was like a couple episodes ago, but just as a reminder, it's currently ranked 72. So, you know, a bit higher. I recently found out that Bernard Kowalski, like after doing these like schlocky horror B-movies in the 50s, like went on to mostly be like a TV director, including like a couple early episodes of Columbo. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Hell yeah. The movie's screenplay was written by Leo Gordon, a prolific character actor uh, who was born in Brooklyn in 1922. Growing up in poverty during the Great Depression, he dropped out of school in eighth grade, worked in construction uh, and demolition, joined the army for World War II, and then after the war, he tried to hold up a bar and was shot by police while trying to escape and served five years in San Quentin prison uh, where he read every book in the prison library. After his release, he used his benefits from the GI Bill to study at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. Um, his teacher there, I think, was Lee Marvin. Oh, sweet. Um, he started acting on stage in the early 1950s and he was scouted by a Hollywood agent, uh, appearing in his first movie in 1953 and going on to a career of over 170 film and television appearances until 1994. Wow. He was mostly like a tough guy in Westerns, but he kind of did like a little bit of everything. In the late 50s, he kind of started wanting to write um, and like write screenplays and books and things. Uh, his first screenplay was for Crybaby Killer in 1958, starring Jack Nicholson in his first role, which was a film produced by Roger Corman. And uh, he would go on to write like tons of TV episodes 
uh, throughout his career for a lot of the shows that he guest starred on. Oh. He never wrote his own episodes. Okay, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. And then in walks my character, who looks super cool, (laughs) has dark sunglasses on, and you hear jazz with each step. The, like hero of the movie the star of the movie i guess is actor ken clark a 32 year old um beefcake actor (laughs) um who had just left his contract with 20th century fox he was there for a while uh throughout the 1950s he had just appeared in the big budget musical south pacific uh for fox and after leaving fox um well you know he starred in this movie and kind of kicked around tv for a while um and he would go on to play secret agent dick mallory in the agent zero double seven series <laughs> of Eurospy movies in the 1960s um Eurospy was a genre in the 60s of basically james bond knockoff movies made in non-english speaking countries so sort of the like spaghetti western but for spy movies Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what these um agent zero double seven movies were okay uh now the big draw in the cast of the movie if we're you know going by like the marketing and so on was actress yvette vickers um and she was born in kansas city missouri in 1928 to um like her parents were jazz musicians <laughs> and she would follow them around as they performed. Uh, she attended UCLA initially to become a journalist, but switched majors to acting. She like appeared in minor roles uncredited throughout the fifties. She did a lot of modeling. Um, her first credited role was in James Cagney's shortcut to hell in 1957 and another early notable role for her was in AIP's Reform School Girl oh in 1957, which is like a exploitation movie about yeah. like girl school. Absolutely. Like the, the, the poster is her and another actress like in a cat fight. Yeah. Um, That's what I would expect with a title like that. Right. In 1958, she played the role of um, basically the town floozy in Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. Um, A lot of people know the poster of Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, but like the plot is that um, the 50-Foot Woman is trying to kill her husband for cheating on her with the character played by Yvette Vickers. And then in July 1959, uh, she was Playboy's Playmate of the Month, and her like centerfold photo shoot was photographed by Russ Meyer. Later in life, Vickers kind of withdrew from friends and family, and, um, well... So she hadn't been seen in like a year when her neighbor decided to like go over and check on her and discovered her mummified body in her home uh, in 2011. And um, her death was ruled to be heart failure. Wow. So just sort of died at home alone and nobody knew. That's too bad. Yeah. um, Hugh Hefner at the time made like a statement where he was essentially like super outraged that she had like died alone and that her family hadn't like checked on her and stuff. Yeah. If you don't hear from someone for over a year, what are you doing? And 2010, 2011, like cell phones exist. Right. Just send a text. (laughs) Now, longtime scream scene listeners or Roger Corman fans will also recognize Bruno Vesoda in this movie uh, from dementia, the undead bucket of blood, etc. So 
to make the giant leeches, mm-hmm. Roger and Gene Corman went to Paul Blaisdell, begging him to create the costumes for the movie's monsters, and Blaisdell refused, saying that the budget was so minuscule it wouldn't even cover the cost of the materials. Sure. If you kind of recall from previous episodes, by this point, Blaisdell was pretty fed up with Roger Corman. Yeah. So the suits were ultimately designed by Gene Corman's wife out of black raincoats and black plastic garbage bags sewn together. That would be a bitch to sew. (laughs) The movie was primarily shot on existing sets from the Chaplin backlot that was used for Bucket of Blood. And it's basically the same crew as Bucket of Blood, but exteriors were shot at the L.A. County Arboretum and Botanical Garden. And um, they had scenes that were like set on the water. And so they had this raft that they put the camera on so it could shoot in the water. And the idea was that like the grips were supposed to go into the water and push it, like swim and push this raft with the camera on it. And the grips refused to do it um, because Corman didn't want to pay them extra for like getting in and swimming and pushing the camera around. (laughs) So they refused to do it. So Gene Corman ended up pushing the raft himself and ended up in the hospital with pneumonia as a result. Yeah, because that's a dangerous hazard at a workplace. Mm -hmm. Yep, those grips were completely in the right to ask for more money, but also people should have probably asked for like a wetsuit or alternative means of shooting this. Sure. And I feel like Corman getting pneumonia is like, you know, that's just karma at that point, right? (laughs) So uh, this film was released by AIP on Double Feature with Bucket of Blood. And like many of uh, Roger Corman's films, uh, the copyright was never renewed. So today, Attack of the Giant Leeches is in the public domain. It was covered in Season 4, Episode 6 of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And it is widely available on home video in varying quality levels. And uh, we're going to have it up on our youtube playlist cool you're going to hear a brief musical interlude and when we come back we will discuss attack of the giant leeches from 1959 directed by bernard l kowalski see you on the other side everybody Welcome back, everyone. We just finished watching Attack of the Giant Leeches from 1959, directed by Bernard L. Kowalski. Sarah, first thoughts? <sighs> yeah, that, that's about accurate. Yeah, um, barely anything happens. It's mm-hmm. a very boring movie. Still a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, people do die, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, suits were surprisingly all right. Like, given what you said in the context setting, they weren't that bad. Okay. They weren't too bad. This movie, for me, has nothing to recommend it. There's no no reason you should go watch this. The skeletal structure of this story is something we've seen a million times. From Roger Corman as well. Right. And um, there's nothing being 
added here in terms of the flavor that is like worth spending time watching this. This is absolutely disposable. Which, to be fair, was its purpose. Right, yeah. Okay, here's what... What is my purpose? (laughs) To bring me the butter. Yeah. So the film is set in the Florida Everglades, and we see that there's this one poacher who is sharing the story of seeing this giant weird thing in the swamps. Now, he's sharing this story at the general store with some friends of his. The general store is run by Dave Walker, and Dave is having some marital issues with his wife, Liz, namely that she doesn't give two fucks about him, and he's like feeling emasculated in front of his friends. Meanwhile, our film's lead is Steve Benton. He is the game warden of this area, and his goal is to stop these poachers. And uh, one night he finds a man dead. Um, He is just completely covered in blood. Now, the person who does the autopsy, he goes by Doc Grayson, who also happens to be the dad to Steve's love interest, Nan. And Doc suspects that there's some kind of like, um, I'll say alien, because they use the word alien, but they don't mean from outer space. They just mean like foreign to this area. This alien octopus-like creature, because the body has these sucker wounds. Now, Steve and Nan scour the swamp looking for this foreign creature, but there's no sign of it. Meanwhile, Liz uh, is out with a guy named Cal, um, and they get caught by Dave. Dave has a shotgun and he forces the two lovers through the swamp at gunpoint. And as he forces them into the water, Liz and Cal are taken by leeches. Now Dave goes giant leeches, giant leeches. Um, Now Dave goes to the police and he's like, this happened. And they're like, yeah, no, you, you shot them and you hid the bodies. And he's like, no, really? Ultimately he hangs himself in jail. Two more people go missing looking for Cal and Liz's bodies. And despite Steve's resolute opposition to dynamite use in the water um, because of the effect on wildlife, Doc and Nan go ahead and bomb the swamp. Now, by this point, we've seen that our two guys and Cal and Liz um, are being kept barely alive uh, in this underwater cave and are being fed upon by these giant leeches. The explosion from Doc and Nan uh, causes everyone except for Liz to fall into the nearby water uh, and they all float to the surface and uh, they're dead by the time that they reach the surface. Um, Now, point of order, they didn't drown. They like died of a few hours before falling into the water. Now, the bodies being found prompts Steve and a friend of his to scuba dive into the swamp to search for this cave because um, the new bodies and like the wounds on them confirms Doc's giant leech theory. Now while Steve and his friend are doing underwater stuff, Doc and Nan theorize to each other like where these giant leeches could have come from and they suspect atomic radiation from nearby rocket ships. Yeah, at Cape Canaveral in Florida. Yeah. Um, So while Steve and his friend are underwater, we get a little bit of a a fight with um, spear guns and knives, and they end up injuring the leeches. 
during the fight, we see that Liz struggles to kind of escape the cave. She falls into the water and then floats to the surface. It's not confirmed whether she is dead or alive when they do find her. It feels like she's supposed to be dead because of the way she just kind of rises up to the surface, but nobody says anything. Yeah. So since Liz isn't in the cave anymore and the leeches have like hidden away to uh, lick their wounds, as they say, everyone decides, okay, let's just use like a thousand sticks of dynamite to completely bomb this swamp all to hell and just kill these leeches. So character arc for Steve being like, yeah, it's time to use the dynamite. (laughs) And they do so. They see two giant leeches float to the surface. But just as the film ends, we see a third swim away. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) The end. So that's the movie. So what doesn't come across in like a plot summary (laughs) is that like this movie is aggressively padded yes um it's very clear that they knew the leech costumes were not great it was very clear they knew they were very limited in what they could do with the leech costumes and so it's very clear that the movie is trying to spend as much time as possible like not having the leeches in it and so like the first like third of the movie is a lot of like tennessee williams ass like (laughs) <laughs> Down here in the swamp, like, here's the sordid lives of these sad, lonely people kind of stuff. And, like, to be fair, Roger Corman does this a lot in his horror movies to try and, like, humanize the characters. Um, my problem this time with it is that the characters are almost entirely all terrible people, which, like, is fine if you're going to kill them all off in a horror movie. Like, that's a fine strategy. But it's not fine when you have to spend, like, this much time with them. Yeah. Like... Liz is this like terrible, mean-spirited floozy, but then like Dave is really like possessive and terrible because like, you know, he's going to kill, he's, he's got a shotgun and he's going to shoot these people over it. And then like, you know, Cal, when Dave catches him is trying to be like, oh, it was all her fault. Like she seduced me when like, it's very clear that like they're both equally guilty. The sheriff of the town is a terrible jackass. Even when we get to, like, more sympathetic characters like Doc and Nan, like, Doc is like, yeah, absolutely, I'm just going to go bomb this lake. And then when the game warden says no, he just goes and does it anyway because, like, fuck authority. And then he's, like, surprised when, like, they try to cut him out of the investigation later. Um, And Nan, who's, like, she's so supportive of her dad that she calls... Like, Steve being like, no, I don't want you to bomb the swamp. Like, oh, you're so stubborn and pig-headed, Steve. And she goes out with her dad, and she gets all angry at Steve. And, like, the only person in this movie who Mm -hmm. isn't a terrible person is Steve. But he's so blandly lawful good, and Ken Clark is so wooden in the part. You know, it's just, I don't think we should do that because that's against the rules kind of stuff that like, it doesn't really help that Steve is likable. Yeah. It's his performance in particular that really makes it a challenge to get through this movie. Cause like, you're absolutely right. Everyone is a terrible person. And then Steve has no charisma. There's mm-hmm. no like, even in terms of the relationship between him and Nan, there's no, there's chemistry. no chemistry. There's nothing. And Nan's part 
is limited to, oh, let me make you some coffee. Let yeah. me make you some sandwiches. Yeah. Like, yes, she goes out with her dad to bomb the swamp, but it's also like, but I brought garden sandwiches along. Yeah. And her, her basically her two attributes are she is servile and she is also kind of a nag, right? No, and, her name is Nan. Right. Uh, um, and then the fact that like her role is juxtaposed to Liz's character and it, Liz is so, it's such a misogynistic, chauvinistic portrayal of like a, uh, I'll say straw woman. Sure. <laughs> of just like such a stereotype that it's so challenging to get through and give this movie the benefit of a doubt when like they're using these stock characters mm -hmm. without doing anything to change them or or make them interesting or they're just using these people because it's like it's the easiest thing to do well and like the other thing is they do try to like give liz this like backstory that like explains her condition of like oh her first husband was the writer of the screenplay and like held up a bar and got arrested and then she divorced him and then she got with like dave because he had like money and like you know he was like dependable and steady but then like he's this like unlikable douchebag so she's with cal because he's hot all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's very much that kind of like sorted, like all of these characters are damaged kind of thing. But the problem is, is like, I don't fucking care. Liz is bad. Dave is bad. Like they're, they're both bad. They're all bad. Cal is bad. And like I said, like that's fine when you know they're all going to die. But because the movie is so padded out, we spend way more time with them than you want to. Like Dave finds Cal and, Liz making out and he's like all right like get up and he's got his shotgun and we spend like a couple pages of screenplay just arguing about whether they're gonna get up off the ground and then he's like all right like march through the swamp and they're like where are you taking us and he's like you'll see or whatever and they try to make like a run for it and we spend like a few minutes on them like running through the swamp with him trudging up behind them and then he finally like gets them into a corner up against the like water and we have another conversation that's basically, you know, the, hey, don't kill me, begging for my life conversation that we just kind of had. And then the leeches attack. Like, it's it's so drawn out. There's, you know, when they're searching for the cave that the leeches are in, like, they, like, there's like three, let's go out on a boat and search for the leeches scenes where they don't find anything and they just come back. Yeah, and... They are leaning on the music to try to create tension during right. those moments, but the music isn't doing a good job. Well, it's all library music, and it's so obviously, like, cut and, like, put up against other tracks really poorly. There's a whole thing with, like, where everyone finally agrees, like, oh, the doc's right. It's giant leeches. Let's go out and take care of them. And Steve takes out this, like, big hunting party with the dogs and everything, and it's like, I've seen this scene in so many of these goddamn movies. And then, like, they don't find anything, so they go home. Right, like, and it's the whole so... thing's just a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, a big part of this movie, of it's just a waste of time. We're just padding. Um, we really only have two locations mm -hmm. in this movie. And I, I want to say that, like, you're absolutely right that, like, they were unsure about how much to use the suits mm -hmm. because we don't see them enough. 
Um, I think if we had seen them enough, then we would really be able to like dig into these suits are terrible. So, but for what we see, I don't think they're too bad. The problem is, is the movie needs more of the leeches. So then they should have put more money and effort into making them so that this would be a better movie. My, my thing about the leech costumes, so I don't like them, okay. but, but the reason I don't like them is because they made this decision to give the leeches arms and legs and like a head, like a kind of bipedal form, which you don't see as like when they're swimming in the water, they look more leech-like, but then they're like, they come up out of the water and like stand around and grab things and carry people and shit. And they also give them like the way that they designed the suckers to look. And they also give them this like spine down the back. They don't look like leeches they look like starfish is what they look like and so like that's a big problem like if i go to a movie called like attack of the 50 foot woman and the 50 foot tall thing in the movie is like a russell terrier like you you fucked up somewhere my guy (laughs) like this isn't what i was promised you know yeah i think the only leech like thing in in their appearance is the sucker Mm -hmm. they also give them sort of octopus like eyes well eyes yes but also appendages right right? they have some of these tentacles which leeches don't have yeah um so i was just kind of chalking that up to i guess they mutated i don't know the mutation too like the fact that the movie just kind of shrugs at even what created them. I have to point out Cape Canaveral rocket launches did not use atomic power at all. Like the docs, like, well, the rockets use atomic energy in their early stages of launch. No rocket launches are all chemical. It's all chemical reactions. That's what rocket science is. It's, it's all chemical. There's no atomic energy in the launch process the first spacecraft that used atomic energy wouldn't be launched until like 1961 and none of it has to do with how they're launched it's all once they're in space for like battery power once they're up there so like that's super fucking lazy frankly this story could have been about giant gators and it would have been exactly the same probably better because those gator costumes would have been easier to pull off yeah because you know what a gator looks like these people clearly had no idea what a leech looks like and like if you're making a giant leech movie then you should be tapping into the fact that people find leeches to be gross yeah and i feel like oddly enough the like forearm length like fist girth leech that you described as actually existing oh yeah the amazonian one right that's grosser and creepier than like once you make a leech like man-sized <laughs> somehow like it stops having the qualities that make leeches gross and it's just like oh it comes across to the other side of the uncanny valley yeah it's it's yeah. no longer scary um i will say that this movie is a good example of the cheap budget valley that we've described before we're like i guess we're shooting on location because i think it does benefit the movie the fact that we are shooting in a lake Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. sorry that gene got pneumonia for it but like i think it does benefit the movie yeah doesn't benefit it a lot no you know it's something i really wish i liked steve better but the movie fucks up in that like he's the hero so he's 
lawful good and he like makes it clear like my job as the game warden is to protect wildlife and like you need to follow the law and shit and i kind of wish that he had been allowed to be right yeah rather than just the lesson of like oh these like florida rednecks who take the law into their own hands like they actually were in the right the whole time i i really wish that like you know they could have shown that steve was correct let him be the hero basically the only thing that ken clark has going for him is that he looks exactly like the cover of like a men's action pulp magazine character very square jaw yeah blonde Uh, hair tanned so much chest hair yes it's like Spock up in here. Like, <laughs> it's so much. And there were a few times that um, I think wardrobe gave him the wrong sized pants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he's, he's, <laughs> he's as much eye candy as Yvette Vickers is. He's even more eye candy than Yvette Vickers because, like, she is in, like, a, a flimsy house robe and, like, lingerie at the start of the movie. But, like, for the majority of the movie, she's actually in, like, a fairly modest, like, full-length dress that like doesn't even get torn when the leeches go to eat her so like what are we doing here folks as i said before this is definitely still horror it's just bad at it Mm -hmm. um and just for case in point example when the dead bodies are floating up to the surface uh we make sure that they float right in front of the camera Mm -hmm. and they sure look fucking dead yeah absolutely it's like a gross expression on their face like everything that this movie is doing when it's doing something is in the service of trying to be a horror movie Mm -hmm. it's just real bad yeah it's just they knew that they didn't have enough story or anything to like really propel the movie enough um i will say as well as a warning to anyone who for whatever reason decides to watch this um the climax does involve an underwater like knife spear gun fight which does mean that the climax is very boring yeah. Because no filmmaker anywhere has managed to make underwater combat exciting. Uh, no, there's there's one movie, Top Secret. Oh? From 1984. Is that a, like, Leslie Nielsen thing? Uh, not Leslie Nielsen, but yes. Okay. Um, yeah. I haven't uh, seen it. Our hero and a bad guy fall off a bridge into water, and then they're fighting as they fall, and then they reach the bottom of the lake, and it's something like a bar fight, and then, like, there's, like, cowboys underwater that, like, they bump into uh, who are, like, just trying to play a poker game. Like, it's, that's it's funny. like, it, yeah, so that's, like, the only time that I've seen an underwater fight be good and and i i should say like live action underwater combat because like in animation you can make it not be slow and boring yeah anyways physics uh where would you like to rank this i would like to rank this extremely low yes but when i first started thinking i was like fuck it bottom of the list (laughs) tired of this and then as i started looking i was like Okay, it's not going to be at the bottom for me. It's going. It's low. It's hella low, but mm. it's it's not bottom. I I will say that. So sometimes I wonder about like the effect that like watching other movies has on like my ranking for this show, because it's kind of this double edged sword. If you watch enough of this kind of movie in a row, like we've been doing, you kind of become like a little bit immune to the flaws and like one of them that's still bad, but maybe they had like a good idea in it can like shoot up the rankings. Cause you're like, well, it's not <laughs> fucking terrible. Right. 
you, you get like an appreciation. You're like, oh, it's that, that one tree in Bronson Canyon again. Ah, it's good to see you, old friend. And like <laughs> that kind of thing that can create a bias where you need to kind of course correct. You need a palate cleanser. You need to see like a real movie to remind yourself like how bad these are. On the other hand, like we saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie a couple days ago and it was fucking great. I loved it. It's a good movie. And while watching this, I was like, is this movie as bad as it feels like? Or was the D&D movie just really good and I can't go back to this now? No, I think we're both good at contextualizing and <laughs> compartmentalizing. Right. Um, yeah, so I started at the bottom of the list and I worked my way up. And I basically worked my way up to 258, uh, which currently is The Monkey's Paw, a really fucking terrible British movie from the late 1940s. Um, and right above that is a bunch of like Melies shorts from the first episode. Melies shorts rank so low because they are like a real long and they're hardly anything. But all of them have more creativity in a single frame than this whole fucking movie is capable of. Uh, so I was like, I'm not ranking this higher. And even like a little bit higher than that. Like, I'm not ranking this higher than even the astounding She-Monster or Wolf Blood. This movie just feels like a bunch of people going through the motions so that there's something that'll be a B picture to Bucket of Blood. Like, nobody cared. So that's my spot for this, is 258 above the monkey's paw, but below the haunted castle. I think that's fair. I think those are fair points. Um, I'm looking a little bit higher because I did think about the monkey's paw and these Milia's shorts, but I also was thinking about how the monkey's paw suffers because nothing happens and you want it to get to a certain point and it just doesn't get there. Mm -hmm. um, it was kind of hindered by its day because it was 1948. Mm -hmm. So they didn't have like the confidence to go as far as we had hoped. Oh yeah. Because like at that point in time, like Britain considered, you know, a movie where a murder happened to be a horror movie and horror was out of favor. <laughs> The astounding she-monster mm -hmm. is the one where that alien lands in the forest and can only walk forwards and then backwards. Because there's of... a tear in her costume, yeah. And I think that this movie is, there's more competence here than that movie. Hmm. Even just thinking about like that movie is relegated to a single location. We're shooting outside, sure, but we're not having to deal with water. Yeah, that movie was, that's a little bit fair, yeah, because that movie is just, we're in the cabin, we're outside the cabin, we're in the cabin, we're outside the cabin. And like, here we at least had to, like, take the camera underwater and do some fucking around, you know, with somebody in a garbage bag suit fighting <laughs> this male model. Also, I really hope these suit actors were okay because they were underwater with essentially a bag, a plastic bag around their yeah, face. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I really worry about people's safety. So ultimately where I kind of landed was um, 245, The Unearthly. Now from that point down, mm -hmm. the movies are like, there's no competence here or there's something that like really upsets us. Mm -hmm. Like in the case of The Unearthly, like that movie, its premise mm -hmm. kind of upset you. Yeah. Um, so because of that, I was like, okay, I feel like it should at least go above The Unearthly, but... I would not put it above 241, 
the four skulls of Jonathan Drake. No. Because that's another case of like nothing really going on in that movie. But I I feel like people were actually like delivering fairly People were trying. Yeah, they they were delivering performances rather than just standing there and saying lines. So my range here is two forty one to two forty five. So part of why I was like staying below Wolf Blood is because like Wolf Blood has like, you know, double exposure and like is is doing things. The reason Wolf Blood's so low is because it's just so aggressively not a horror movie. It also really suffered with the fact that we were like, oh, a werewolf movie. And, and then it not. wasn't. Yeah. Uh, which and is like, you know, that, sort of its fault, but sort of not. It, it might be unfair, except for the fact that the only reason why anyone today in 2023 is going to watch Wolf Blood is because it has this reputation as the first werewolf movie. And so, you know, it's like our duty to warn people <laughs> against it, right? Um, danger, danger, do not watch. <laughs> I, I'm okay with putting this above Mesa of Lost Women, um, which is really bad, like barely a functioning film bad. But part of me doesn't want to put this above Night of the Ghouls, because even though Night of the Ghouls is kind of patched together from fragments of things, it's got that weird nightmare atmosphere that I like in my horror movies. And it's like, you watch Night of the Ghouls and like Night of the Ghouls' biggest problem is that it's not as bad as other Ed Wood movies. Like you can almost feel like he's almost starting to learn how to make a real movie. Um, it's just that the story is bad and it doesn't make any sense. I would like to put this under that because these guys don't care and Ed Wood cares a little bit, you know? But that movie in particular you see his passion has been just completely drained from him oh for sure and that kind of makes it a movie that i find a little upsetting to watch because it's like you feel pity you sure. know you feel bad um but i'd rather watch it again than this to be honest with you that's fair i i think for me it's kind of a question of like is a movie that accomplishes its goal in just being you know worthless filler worthless filler of a like higher competency than a movie where like you see someone going through the motions having lost all of his passion for the genre for the craft for the Mm. art that he had such love for like it hurts Right? Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, going between those two, but I, I would be comfortable with Leech's going below. So like what I'll say about that, and this kind of, impl- you know, applies to the unearthly as well, which I didn't like, but has, you know, like a John Carradine performance in it. And it's that performance is better than anything in this movie because nobody in this movie is trying. So the thing about Night of the Ghouls is it has sections that are taken from like that failed pilot of the dude wandering around the theater Mm -hmm. and that stuff is actually like really well shot and very atmospheric um so it's not as bad as all that but also part of where i'm coming from is like if i if i wiped out every copy of night of the ghouls or i wiped out every copy of attack of the giant leeches I feel like wiping out every copy of Night of the Ghouls would be the bigger crime. I would agree with that. I think it means something, Mm -hmm. even if it's just 
in the story of Ed Wood, whereas Attack of the Giant Leeches doesn't even mean much in the context of, like, Roger Corman's story. Exactly. Who was just a producer. He didn't even have, like, hands-on, really, yeah. in the making of this movie. Exactly. Okay, yeah, let's do that. So entering the list at the new number 247, below Night of the Ghouls and above Mesa of Lost Women, is Attack of the Giant Leeches from 1959, directed by Bernard L. Kowalski. If you would like to see this list, you can go to our website, ScreamScenePodcast.com. There you can find links to the many episodes that we have mentioned today, as well as our appeals box. If you would like to contest this or any other ranking, you can drop us a line through our Ask box on Tumblr. You can reach out over email at ScreamScenePodcast at gmail.com or over Twitter at underscore ScreamScene. Scream Scene updates every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can help support the show by leaving us a rating or a review, subscribing on our RSS feed, sharing the show with people you think might enjoy it, whether that's over social media or in person. And you can also help us out by becoming a patron. Uh, if you head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast. You can become a patron of the night for as little as a dollar a month. Patrons at the $5 and $10 level get access to regular bonus content, and patrons of all levels get to participate in our monthly polls for our horror-adjacent bonus episode each month, which for April is going to be Abbott and Costello Meet the Invisible Man. Yeah, this will be our second Abbott and Costello movie, so that will be exciting. And May's poll is now up and currently has zombies on Broadway leading. Oh. <laughs> so we will see what turns out for there. So that's patreon.com slash scream scene podcast. So Ben, what are we watching next week? <sighs> well, Sarah, next week we are back to like an actual Roger Corman movie, uh, as in directed by him. Uh, it's um, The Wasp Woman. Ah, uh, yes, I am vaguely aware of this one. Its reputation precedes it for me. Well, we'll see you next week, Creatures of the Night. Bye. Bye. Bye.